banger. Hell yeah. Banger. Yes, Lux Mysterium. I can see you're coming. Hello, I Lux. See one. I don't know if you've made more than one, but... Oh, no. Lux, Lux Friedman is blocked by coward YouTubers. Yeah, Lux Friedman. Why is your name Lex Friedman? You got to fix that. Maybe that's why they blocked you. What's going on, people? We've got our... Uh, our glowy here across the way. He looks like I look like a like, lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you look like a 16 year old kid that just got his head shaved at boot camp. <laughs> but yes, you do look like a lesbian. <laughs> Hanging out at the hipster bar with my V-neck. Well, if you want to see lesbian Cooper and you're listening to this, somewhere other than YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, where we are streaming, then you can come follow us on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. You can subscribe to the show. You can uh, hit that little notification bell so you know when we go live. We usually go live, I don't know, two or three times a week. Uh, we did not go live yesterday because I had an interview with a cool guy named Jay Burton. He's got a great channel, a great lineup of guests. It was a, It's an honor to be included in said great lineup. I wasn't invited. Yeah, no, no, he doesn't. He didn't care about Cooper. He just cared about me. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a good conversation. I've, I've gotten had a few different people tell me that they enjoyed the conversation, including Cooper. He uh, he got to listen afterwards like a peasant. <laughs> What's it like being a peasant, Cooper? Mm, it's fine. It's quiet. <laughs> yeah, quiet, peaceful, simple. Leading the simple life. Uh, Jay Burden is going to be on. Uh, he just had Buck Johnson on his show recently. Uh, my understanding is that he is going to be on Buck Johnson's show in the near future, and he's also going to be going on the Two Bit Podcast soon. So, if you want nice. to get to know Jay Burden a little bit, then uh, you can go listen to his channel. Smart uh, kid. Yes. Yeah. Very smart. I, I was fellow Zoomer. Apparently, he's like he's yeah he's like twenty four or something like that. He's he's a what's he. He missed. No, no, no. He's got to be 25, maybe, or 26. He's got to be. He said he had just. I he had just missed the window to vote for Trump in 2016. Oh, okay, yeah. So then he'd be yeah 25. 25 I was 18 in 2016. Donald Trump was. That was my first election. Jeez, you're just yeah. a baby, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> man. My right? Am I doing that math right? Yeah, that, I think so. Yeah, that was twenty six, dude. That was six years ago. Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen was eight years ago. It's two, it's twenty twenty four, dude. That's six. No, holy it's eight. No, whoa, no way, dude. It's eight. <laughs> that was you know, eight years ago. Like a lesbian too. <laughs> Jay says yeah. he's gonna have to cut his hair too soon. Man, I wish I had. I wish I wouldn't have cut my hair. I miss my long hair. I'm growing it back. Yeah, I'm. I'm getting ready to get mine cut. I'm. Uh, don't do I'm that. Not gonna take, don't do it. I'm not gonna. You're gonna regret it. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm not gonna take it super short. I'm gonna take some off of it, but I'm gonna get the sides like, like do an undercut or something like that. Because it's this. It's like this hair right here is the hair that pisses me off the most. So I'm just gonna get that taken out and then. I should be happier, but I might have to wait because it's, it was one degree here yesterday when I went to bed. <laughs> it, 
in Texas, South Central Texas. We're like, I don't know, like three hours from the Gulf, and it was one degree. I'm in Michigan, and it's one degree. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. But that's normal. Yeah. Of course, like, I don't know, 36 hours from now, it's supposed to be 70 here. I don't think it's going to be 70 in Michigan. <laughs> Trey 50 Daniels says maybe you'd need Vivek to teach you math from one of yeah. the Indian YouTube get Neil, get, get Neil deGrasse Tyson to explain it to me because I'm retarded. <laughs> maybe we could get we could get uh, Bill Nye. Oh get yeah, Bill Nye to come do one do What's his. What's the uh, chick? He could bring yeah. that his chick friend to sing that song for us. Chick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the thing that destroyed the rest of Bill Nye's career. <laughs> yeah, I sent that video to my brother because he had never seen it after you sent it to me and. Uh, I remember when it first came out and I could only listen to about three seconds before my cringe reflex was making me gag. So I never watched the whole thing until you sent it to me a couple of weeks ago and I sent it to my brother and he just responded with like, ew, <laughs> man, <laughs> Bill Nye used to be so cool. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. Especially growing up in Seattle. Like I did, it was, he was like a, he was like a local fixture and it was always, he was just kind of like the cool science guy that had interesting videos way back in the pre-social media age, that ancient, ancient time. Yeah. I remember being a kid in uh, elementary school and you knew when you came in from recess and you saw the big ass, <laughs> the big ass TV on the cart with the VHS tape and the projector, you were like, Oh shit, it's going to be a great afternoon. We're watching yeah. Bill Nye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that TV cart always had one wheel. Yeah, yeah. that was like fucked. It was up always and yeah, and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there he's oh, had like man. you know you had to have a whole AV team follow it because there's cords hanging out everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you had a woman teacher, then inevitably she'd get like she'd get all frustrated because she didn't know which thing had to be plugged in where. <laughs> then like it wouldn't work, and she'd be smacking the remote, and like she'd have to go call someone. <laughs> yeah do you remember the uh um the projectors that were like it was like okay mm -hmm. you had a, a little table with a light underneath it yeah with the and then like with like the glass and the plastic roll that went over it and then you uh -huh. had the mirror that mirrored it onto the projector behind you <laughs> and they would write on it with like uh what are those called like one of those uh, felts erase markers or, yeah dry erase markers dry erase yeah 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 Overhead projector, Man. yeah, those things. Man. Taking me back. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that's, what, almost 20 years for me now? I am just old enough to remember a world before having, like, a, a computer. Because my parents were boomers, so they were kind of scared mm -hmm. of technology. Because, you know, people were going to steal their card information or whatever. Um, <laughs> and they... So I was probably like five, around five when I remember that's like the earliest four or five is the earliest I remember having like a desktop. Mm. But aside from that, we had like a home phone, you know, there, we didn't have cell phones. I remember all my siblings and I for like the first up, up through like the first half of high school, we were all sharing one cell phone. Uh-huh. There's five siblings. <laughs> we were all sharing one cell phone, a Motorola Razor. That thing <laughs> yeah. was dope. I miss that thing. Yeah. Remember when that was like a status symbol? Oh yeah. You had a Motorola Razor. Like but see, I had gotten symbol. I got it like a few years after it was a status symbol. Ah. Uh, Cuz well, see by time 
by time I had the Motorola Razor, people were starting to get the original iPhone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the Palm Pre? Did you ever see one of those? No. It was the one that was, it was like, it was black and it was like, just kind of like round like Is this. that the one that like slid open? Yeah. And you slid yeah, yeah, it up yeah. and it had a physical keyboard. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was, I had that for, I think a year maybe in college. And um, I got my first, my first uh, cell phone was when I was 18. And it was one of those little like chunky, just like flip phones. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, it was like, like, yay big. It was a tiny little like pfft. And uh, I was an absolute demon with the uh, the uh, what, what was it called the the way that you t- you, you had to text then using the using the numbers T nine is that what it was called where you, you had oh to, yeah like, yeah if you wanted like a I used Z, to pride myself nine, seven four times yeah I used to pride myself because I could you know you have to hit three times and three times and uh-huh. I was like faster at texting that way than the people with the Palm Pre. Uh huh. I felt I cool. was probably faster, almost faster then than I am now with an iPhone. Just I don't know. Yeah, no, I, is, but... I just used to slide text. Oh uh, yeah, it like like I could drive and text like I like that without looking and just sit that's there, fire it. Off. That's the thing. That's the thing is it was a lot easier to like text and drive with that than it is with like having an actual QWERTY keyboard. Right. Because I don't remember where all that shit is in my head, but like <laughs> when you just had a, you could just do it by feel. Yeah. Those are the days. Yeah, the things the kids are never going to know about. These kids. Yeah. So I'm just old enough to remember a world before before everything. Did you ever play Oregon Trail? Um, I did a couple of times. I mostly, let's see. We played on, I think we had like an XP, Windows XP, I believe, um, was the first operating system that i was like old enough to remember like hey it was it says windows xp um and there was the like the spaceman pinball 2000 or whatever it was do you know mm-hmm. that game yep yep play yep. pinball oh dude i uh-huh. played the shit out of that game <laughs> yeah oh man i just looked up pictures of encarta did you ever do you ever have encarta mm. is a digital encyclopedia produced by microsoft Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. There was also that. Uh, oh, what was that game called? Maybe someone in the chat remembers. It was, it was on Windows XP. Um, this would have been like, I don't know, 2002 or something like that. It was like a it was like a trivia game where you walked through a medieval castle. And you would talk to the, oh. the patrons of the castle and they would ask you these questions, these trivia questions. And you'd have to like get them right to keep going through the castle. That's all yeah. I, I vaguely remember that. Oh, I don't yeah. I don't remember what it was called. I don't think I ever won because I was like four. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever got very far. Oh man. Do you is that ring a bell? It does. I I, I can um I don't remember details. I can hear the music I, in my head. I can hear the harpsichord. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can, I can, I, I have the aesthetic, like the, the aesthetic of it. I can, I can sort of see. I don't remember. I played a lot of uh, uh, Mind Maze. Is that it? In San Diego. Is that it? The name doesn't ring a bell. Ring a bell. Mind. I remember Maze. Encarta. I never got on the. I, yes. I played. Is that it? Yes. This is it. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember. Look, Encarta. Okay. Um, yeah. Carmen San Diego. I played that a couple uh-huh. of times. Um, what was that game? Like the the Zambonis or Zambonis or something like that. Did you ever play that game? Uh, maybe. Kind of rings a bell. Encarta Mind Maze. I'm gonna save that for later because I'm gonna download the shit out of that game. You know yeah. it. Oh man. Thank you. Thank you for this uh, this little journey into the past. I kind of enjoyed this. It reminds me of... Yes, that was Man. it. Mind Maze. Uh-huh. It reminds me of a time when we actually Thanks, guys. had like, a country. We actually yeah. had a culture. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. This is, take, this is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Back before everything sucked. Yeah, I'm just barely old enough to remember in my small town when uh, everything was closed on Sunday. Oh, Those days are gone, man. Yeah, no, I bet. Huh. Yeah, I, I remember when we had our first uh, 24-hour grocery store. It was Walmart. I remember when of Walmart course. came in. God, I hate and, Walmart. Yeah, then it was it was so weird to have like somewhere you could go really late at night to, to get stuff. And that was probably, I was, I don't know, five or six, something like that. Yeah, we have up in the, the Midwest, we have... Um... I don't know how far they go out. I know they, I think the, they're in the Midwest. Uh, I know, I think they go down to Kentucky might be the furthest south they go, but Meyer, Meyer. Oh yeah. You, Meyer Thrifty Acres. Um, I remember we have a Meyer in, in my town. And I remember when that used to be just a field. And we had a little, and we had a little family owned grocery store. That was really awesome. And then the Meyer came into town. Basically, just like it's basically like Walmart for people who don't know. It's like Walmart, but a little a little more up upscale, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um it's a Michigan company. And I remember when the Meyer came to town, and then a few years later, the small little Felposh or whatever it was went out of business. That was a really sad day. Nate Baker says Hollywood video and blockbuster was an era and is a millennial zoomer epoch split Hollywood. I remember I, I do remember a blockbuster on the West side of Lansing growing up um, when I was really young and let's see, there was two video stores in my, in my town. There was one called video time, I think, or maybe it was Hollywood video. And then there was a family video. Mm. I think I remember family video. Yeah, yeah, those are basic. I don't know if there's any of them left, but I mean, the the last family video, the one in my town hung on until like just a couple of years ago. Wow. Yeah, they, they stuck around for a while. You know, I'll bet you within the next few now years, it's like a physical therapy place. Big, like, like a uh, revival in VHS. Like you could probably, if you, if you started like a VHS, like a store that sold, um, uh, VCRs and VHS tapes <laughs> and you like, like you refurbished them or something like that. I'll bet you that there's going to be a rising, uh, uh, desire for that market. I, I know that like right now, if I could go get one of the, uh, just, just to go get one of the, the, the like old square TVs and, yeah, yeah. and a, a VCR and watch some like video, like videotape on a VCR, I would totally go do that. I was, um, I don't know how true this is, but this is what I heard. Because I have a, 
or it's somewhere in my mom's basement, an N64. Oh, and yes. I remember, I remember like getting a special adapter to hook the N64 up to my flat screen TV a couple of years ago, and it looked like total dog shit. And I was like, man, I remember it looking a lot better. And apparently, it's just because like the the, the newer TVs oh. are so high resolution. Yeah, and they weren't designed for that, so that's why it doesn't look it doesn't look as smooth and stuff. So I imagine there might be a market for people who are into like retro movies and retro games to actually see things on a VCR on one of those old tube fucking TVs. Uh huh. Because it look better. Yeah. Man. Man, this is fun to think about. Tape decay is a thing, says two bit. That's true. Mm, yeah. Uh, but you know. You know, with the the the, uh, the zoomers kind of being into uh, kind of being into things that are kind of shitty and like going antiquing and stuff at the thrift store or whatever, they probably would like that, like old decayed tapes that look fuzzy and they kind of they almost like they start to fade and they have that sort of sepia filter over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Matt's mic low? Matt, is your mic low? I just, uh, um, I just commented. I turned it up and I just commented to Jonathan and asked him if it to let me know if it's any better. Okay. And also just get closer to the mic. I don't know why it changes so much. It's like I don't. I go on other people's shows and they don't seem to have any issue with it. But then for whatever reason, like one day we'll do a show and everything's fine, then the next day it's not. Um. So, subject of the show today. So Peter Peter Thiel and the birth of a nation. Um, ever since our last show, which was like, <laughs> we've been going for 20 minutes talking about this. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, for, for ever since the last show it's been like five days or something, I have been obsessively reading about the so-called, uh, <laughs> Matt's the low energy candidate, <laughs> the, the so-called PayPal mafia and, what initially started as a sort of a kind of like, hmm, I wonder how deep this rabbit hole goes. I wonder what sort of interesting things I could find in here uh, just to sort of pass the time. I have, it has completely, just about completely changed the way that I look at politics right now, the way that I am evaluating current events. Um, and in the, the purpose of this episode here isn't to do a deep dive on the, the, the PayPal mafia and to comprehensively make the case I, we, I guess I could do a show like that at some point. It, it'd be very, I think it'd be pretty dry because it's a whole lot of just like pouring over like journal articles and like, like digging through investment records and like this sort of thing to, to, to make connections and, and like picking through a whole bunch of random people's Wikipedias. And I don't think it would make all that interesting of television, but I could do it at some point if you guys want me to like comprehensively make the case, but I will just, just, just take my word for it. We're kind of, kind of playing like a, um, I don't know, like a, like a thought experiment. Um, and based on everything that I've seen and, and, and two bit Jason has been doing the same thing and he's seeing a lot of the same stuff that I am. Um, I'll just, just say I can substantiate a lot more of this stuff for you guys. If you want today to talk about what we're going to talk about today, um, just take my word for it on some of this stuff. And, and we're just going to kind of play a little, a little thought experiment game. Um, and in part, this is, this is kind of a setup or, or, or a preparation for our show tomorrow evening with Oren McIntyre. We're going to have Oren on and we're going to talk about, uh, 
kind of like the like the, the state of quote unquote NRX. Like what happened to NRX? Where is you know, it seems like a few years ago over the last between a decade and like two or three years ago, there was a lot of energy kind of building around this term, communities forming around it, people talking about it a lot. And then it sort of has kind of just sort of seems like it's dispersed or evaporated or something. People kind of started going their own ways a little bit. And um, it, it may just be the, 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 I don't know, the poor marketing of the term neo-reactionary that people just eventually kind of wanted to distance themselves from it. Um, or is there, or is there more to it? Where, where has all this energy dissipated to? But one of the things that has been fascinating to me, like once I was, I was pretty dismissive of Vivek Ramaswamy at first and um, we just kind of like, yeah, whatever he, he, you know, uh, Republican Andrew Yang, you know, he just out here just kind of doing whatever his thing is. And then, then I started listening to him and realizing that, <clears throat> that th this is like one of the most authentic people that I've ever listened to. He's like, he's either, he's either like Ted Bundy level serial killer, like sociopath in terms of his, um, acting ability or he's genuinely a, um, I don't know, a, a brilliant, insightful, charismatic, personable, authentic guy. And I was telling, I think I was, I, I was talking to Cooper about this. I was also talking to Jason about this, that, uh, if he was to like, imagine an alternate reality where he was to just start a podcast and he was, you know, whatever, kind of like what we're doing here, like, uh, like, you know, Joe Rogan or like any of these, a whole bunch of different podcasts, kind of like a tech bro podcast, but like he started a podcast where he just talked about current events and economics and did, I don't know, political analysis or financial analysis, or like, if he did that, he would be very, very good at it. He's very... He's a very, very gifted, excellent um, communicator. He's able to really connect with people. And you can tell when he's in an interview, when he's having a conversation with someone, he's all the way there. He's not there to um, uh, like, just kind of like checking off a box on his to-do list. You can tell he wants to be there. Like he enjoys this shit, just sitting here and talking about this stuff. And if he was, if he had come up initially as a podcaster and Ben, and he was just going to do, he's like, you know, a hedge fund manager that's going to do a podcast about business and economics and finance and whatever. He would be very compelling and very interesting. And then if he, if he took that and he parlayed that into a political career, that would make him even more interesting. And this is the, this is the sort of guy he is. So I'm sitting here listening to him talk and realizing like this dude is like the only place that I heard some of the types of, of analyses that he's giving, like these, the, 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 the um, diagnosis of the current state of things, this like clear eyed view of the, the, the um, structure and the purpose and the, like the telos of the regime. The only place that I'd ever heard this sort of stuff was basically in like NRX circles over the past five years. He's like the closest thing to an NRX political candidate that we've seen. And yet I'm watching all of the guys who are, or a lot of the guys who are sort of, what do you, I don't know, NRX adjacent. They're, they're, 
people who kind of have followed the the track through whether it's sort of generic conservative into alt-right or uh, libertarian into post-libertarian and like there's all these kind of different tracks that people have taken, but everyone has kind of had a stop off in the in the NRX circles. And those are the only people who are talking about a lot of this stuff before. So I'm watching this guy and I'm like, this is this is surreal. Not not because I'm like looking at it as like, oh, this guy might actually run for president, because here's the thing, like a, a presidential campaign is only like maybe like tertiarily about electing a presidential candidate or running for the office of president. That's like a, that's it's almost a sideshow on the actual thing that's happening. Presidential campaigns are primarily about social engineering and increasingly over the past probably 16 years or so, they've been about election or sorry, uh, data gathering. This is the big thing with a, with a presidential campaign. If you want to see a really clear example of this, look at Michael Bloomberg's campaign last year. Wasn't that a bizarre campaign? <laughs> he like spun it up at the last minute, kind of haphazardly threw a bunch of shit at the wall, sort of sort of just kind of uh, slouched his way through some debates and then dropped out like four months later and threw his support behind Biden. And in the course of that like four months, do you know how much he spent on his campaign, Cooper? No idea. Something absurd, I'm sure. $935 million. <laughs> the dude spent a billion dollars in four months to sort Must of like nice. slapstick a campaign together and then sort of drop out and throw, throw, you know. It was, I was like, that's really bizarre. So I went and did a little bit of digging and realized like the year before, or even, it might've even been earlier in the same year, he started a... Um, social media marketing and uh, like it, it was like it's like a tech company for uh, managing social media advertising and marketing for political campaigns, specifically Democratic political campaigns. That was the company he started and then like six months later ran for president and hired that company to do all of his advertising. And you go to the company's website, they talk about the, the sheer volume of data and insights and stuff that they're able to gather from all that information. Because if you think about so it- So he started a company and then paid that company to run his campaign? Yes. Oh, okay, so he didn't, he didn't actually spend a billion dollars. Right, exactly. Yeah. He, now, now he, he didn't pay that billion dollars all to that campaign, but what that billion dollar, or to that company rather, but what that billion dollars was, was an investment in data gathering. And then the, the company shortly after the, the, the shortly after the election was over, I think it lasted like a year or two, and then it just folded. It was gone. But like the guys who he hired to do it were like executives out of Google and um, uh, I think like a payment processing company or something like, and they were they were prominent, like CEO or C-suite level executives, who all came over and ran this company for him for a few years, bracketing the election. So he spent a billion dollars to get a bunch of, of to number one, do, do uh, uh, social engineering, but also to collect a tremendous amount of data for the purposes of market research. It's, I mean, data is absolutely invaluable for any, sort of, for any sort of business, but especially 
online businesses. And social media marketing is a fucking gigantic industry, especially social media marketing paired with presidential or with, with, with um, elections and campaigning, because it's one of the best opportunities to number one, gather data. Cause you get so many eyeballs, like what, what other event, what other single event that lasts for weeks or even months gathers as many eyeballs as an election. The election cycle is like, is like a, 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 it's just an opportunity to harvest new data. Like every four years, every two years, every four years, we get a new opportunity to harvest a bunch of data and also practice propaganda techniques. And a, a propaganda technique sounds like a scary boogeyman thing, but really it's just marketing. Figuring out how to market to make people buy what we're selling. This is the, the primary purpose of a presidential campaign. And then there's the like, oh, I'll get a guy elected or whatever. So like, as I'm, as I'm watching this, this whole thing playing out, it's like, okay, so this guy is probably the most singularly, like clearly most singularly gifted communicator, thinker, um, comprehensive, uh, uh, worldview sort of guy that I've ever seen as a, as a, as a political candidate. He's running his campaign brilliantly, exactly how you would if your goal was to come in as a relative outsider and take control of the narrative and shift the narrative in a particular direction. But it was, it was clear that, it, especially if it's a guy who understands the, the nature of the system the way he does, that talks about things the way he does, it's clear that he doesn't think he's coming in to just like win an election like run for president and win an election. I mean, like one of his fundamental messaging points is essentially they stole the last one and we're going to see election interference is what he, he would, he termed it as, which if you put those two thoughts together, it's like, so they, they rigged this thing. So then now we're going to do it again. And this time, maybe I'm going to see if I can like, like those thoughts don't go together. It should be, it's very apparent to anybody who's connected or paying attention that there is not a one-to-one -one connection between the, 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 the actions that voters take and the numbers that show up on the screen. There's sorts of those, there's whatever sort of funny business that happens in the interim to make sure that the numbers that show up on the screen are the right numbers. He very obviously recognizes and understands this. So what's he running for? What's he doing? There's, there's a, there's some other purpose and there's, there's different people put forth different theories, which I think are potentially plausible, but they're all sort of equally plausible. So then which one is it? Is it one of these or is it another one that we're not even thinking of? So one of them is like, oh, he's, he's angling for a VP position, but I'm like, but why? Like, like what, what would he need a VP position for? This like well-connected billionaire who's clearly like exceptionally intelligent and insightful. What does he need to be VP for? That doesn't make any sense. And so Jason had been, he'd brought up, he and I had kind of talked a few times about the PayPal mafia and just sort of, I was like, yeah, there's this, I, it's interesting to me that there's this network of guys that are 
you know, have been invested, cross-invested with each other for 20-plus years. And noticeably, they're all kind of starting to make moves, or some of the significant ones are starting to make, make moves. And we've done our generational analysis episodes where we were talking about this, this spirit of Gen X and the, the, the kind of the, the, the gradual transfer of power that's going to happen from the boomer generation being the senior generation, the adults in the room, to Gen X becoming that and the, the implications of that. So I've been kind of keeping my eye out now. I'm like, so you got Elon, you got Tucker, you've got um, uh, uh, Vivek comes on the scene and he's like, he's speaking their language. He's really talking a lot like the way they do. So then sort of adjacently, you've got kind of the, you've got the Joe Rogan and his, in his circle and you've got uh, Dana White is kind of overlapped there. Then um, you've got some, there's some sort of prominent comedians who are starting new, Dave Chappelle and, um, uh, what was the, the, uh, cat Williams, where you're starting to see this kind of rising gen X vengeful son sort of energy among a lot of these guys who are very wealthy, very influential, clearly very dissatisfied with the existing state of the regime and starting to talk about it. So I was like, Hmm, okay, well, I'll, let me look at this, this PayPal mafia thing. I know I've had what, uh, uh, Nate Baker in the chat here, he says, there are zero boring Peter Thiel interviews. Yes. Like he's an, he's a very, very interesting person to listen to. He's a student, like a direct student of Rene Girard, which means he understands memetics at a really deep level, the power of memetics and the way that if you, like, if you understand memetics, then like understanding memetics is a great way to be a really good chess player. It gets you thinking very, um, I, I, uh, uh, on like a on like a global level, and seeing the world as 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 sort of as like a chessboard. You start understanding the cause and effect of of human interactions and why human societies shift and move the way they do, and you can start seeing those mechanisms, and start building around them. And that's very clearly what Peter Thiel has been doing. What I didn't appreciate before starting to dig into this is the sheer expanse of what he's been building. He, he probably has at this point, I, I would put him in probably like in the top five most influential people in the world. Like I, we've been watching for this potential counter elite to show up. Like if you understand the cycle of empires and, and, the rise and fall of a civilization and the way that the patterns, the way they play out and you understand the analysis of liberalism and the way it starts cannibalizing. So all these different things, it's very evident that we're, we're at a point where historically, every time a society reaches this point, pretty shortly thereafter, the existing empire crumbles and collapses and is absorbed by a new one. This is why the Caesar thing gets talked about so much across the aisle. There's people, making Caesar references all over the place. The Caesarism is in the air. And you've got a guy who is uh, a deep understander of Girardianism, the G Girardian insights. And so I just started looking at his investment track record. What kind of companies is he investing in? What sort of network is he, is he building out around himself? What's the, what, what, what are the, what's the meaning behind the different moves that he's making? He's got the, he's got connections with a really, he's got deep personal connections 
with a wide assortment of people across all different sorts of ideological persuasions and industries. And he's clearly a very calculated fellow. I mean, the, the absolute savagery of the way that he took down Gawker is, I, I, it's one of the most like savage things that anyone has done in recent history. This is a guy who is a, uh, uh, he thinks many level, many steps down the road and is absolutely ruthless and pragmatic in the way he goes about his business. You can read his book Zero to One for kind of an idea of his psychology. It's very obvious that at his heart, he's a monarchist. He's interested in seeing government function as government is supposed to, which is a powerful executive. He's in the business of manufacturing powerful executive authority. And he's building out an infrastructure that is ingratiated, that, that has been become embedded within governments all over the world, particularly the most powerful ones. And Elon Musk is doing the exact same thing. Remember, uh, I think it was early last year, after everything was starting to kick off in Ukraine, at one point, I don't remember if it was Ukraine itself or if it was NATO or US, you know, whatever. It was one of the one of the the the, the US sides asked him to it was either like activate or or relocate Starlink satellites to give them access so that they could uh, uh, execute their different things in a, in a given area. And he told him to go pound sand. He was like, "No, like you're not going to be, you're I'm, I'm, you're not going to bait me into making myself an active combatant here." That's so, so Elon put himself into a position where he could give a, give the finger to the federal government coming to him and saying, Hey, let us use your stuff. That's a position of power. That's a position of legitimate executive authority. And that's just one domain. Twitter has become the, the purchase of Twitter was the privatization of control over the town square. Because Twitter is the town square. Like Twitter is where Twitter is where everything happens. Twi people go to YouTube to watch stuff and then go to Twitter to talk about it. People see stuff posted on Facebook or Instagram and they go share it on Twitter. The only other app that might remotely compete with Twitter would be TikTok. But even still, all the primary activity, the most important activity that's central to the existing power structures is Twitter. So Musk now is exercising an outsized level of control over Twitter, over Starlink. SpaceX is uh, essentially the lifeblood of NASA at this point. These are, these are really fundamental technologies that are in the control of relatively few people. Like they may not be able to, um, they may not have the, have sufficient capital to exercise like a straight up hostage takeover 
or hostage, hostile takeover of the regime right now. But it's very clear that's what they're building. I think it. I, I think, especially if you see everything that I've seen, it, you you can't not acknowledge it. It's very clear that this is what's happening. This is the counter elite that's rising. Peter Thiel's Palantir is maybe the most important technology of them all. He essentially owns the intelligence community through Palantir. It's not that it's not like they can't operate outside of Palantir. It's that they need Palantir more than he needs them. That's just I mean this I've I've talked about what like three or four companies their associates, their close associates, longtime investment partners and other business partners are, they sit on the boards of virtually every one of the largest tech companies in the world, save for, some of them are even involved with Google, but save for like Google, Apple, and Amazon. And it seems like Amazon, like someone asked Jeff Bezos not too long ago, what, uh, like if he he has his uh, what's it called his space program, and he someone asked him like if he would be interested in working with Musk on stuff, and he was like he was like oh yeah yeah that'd be awesome I'd love to like go to space with him and do stuff with him, which kind of which which came off as kind of like an overture like hey let's you know let's let's kind of get a little buddy buddy here, but you've got I mean Uber Airbnb uh, YouTube. Facebook, Meta, uh, more broadly, uh, Eventbrite, Yelp, uh, Yammer. Um, I'm trying to remember the different. These are all these are all the different tech companies that these guys either started or maintain some level of control over now. And one thing that became very clear to me. It just sort of popped out at me all the time, all of a sudden, was that Peter Thiel wanted Biden in the White House in 2020, which which may not completely make sense unless you, you recognize what he's trying to accomplish. And you know who's been telling us what he's trying to accomplish? This just clicked for me a couple days ago. There's been a guy who's been out here telling us exactly what Peter Thiel is trying to accomplish. His name is Curtis Yarvin. <laughs> I've kind of come full circle on Yarvin now. You know, like I, I really liked Moldbug, and then I was kind of like, eh, about Yarvin, you know. But like, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't getting what he was saying. But now I'm beginning to get it. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to see what's, what's bubbling up, what, what, what they've been working on. They're the, the, the reach that they have and the types of companies they've been investing in, the types of people who they've been investing in, and the way those people talk, the way they see the world, these are not people who are, who are invested in the current regime. In fact, these are people who are explicitly invested in, in replacing the current regime, but not on an ideological basis per se, on like a like a like a pragmatic rational basis they're just like this regime is incompetent and corrupt 
and a pain in the ass to work with. These are people who come out of startup culture and they look at it like a startup gone wrong. They're like, this is an old decrepit company that is bloated, expansive, kicking off all sorts of issues all over the place all the time, unstable, unpredictable. It's, it just, it's shitty to work with and we don't want to work with them anymore. But we can't just like, like hostile take over it right now. So we have to put ourselves in the position where we can do that. And then, I've, and, and if that means playing the game, then we're going to play the game. But it's, it's like a position that, that, that sort of, uh, transcends ideology. It's just, it's, like, it's just like kind of non-ideological. And if you actually listen to these guys talk, you'll see that you'll hear that. I've spent a lot of time in the, the, the entrepreneurial, um, uh, like sales, business podcasts, finance podcasts. A lot of these people, they're ex extremely successful, very wealthy, very successful, understand reality really well. Like they, they have a, a, a great understanding of, of how markets work, uh, how sales works, how to communicate well, um, how to build successful companies. Like they're tapped into reality. They don't really talk about politics much. If you, if they, if they get into politics, they're kind of shallow with respect to politics. They're not like, you know, sort of like, oh, you know, civic, civic duty and we vote and, you know, we've got these institutions and they're there and they do their thing and, you know, whatever. But they don't want people like, when you come at them like rabidly political, it doesn't matter what your, your stance is. They're kind of like, oh, gross. Like, ugh, go do something productive with yourself. Don't like sit here and yell at me about Palestine or whatever. Or don't sit here and yell at me about about uh, whatever your you know elite pedophile networks or whatever. If there's elite pedophile networks, what am I going to do about it? Like I'm just, I'm trying to start a company here, bro. I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to make a nest egg for my family. <laughs> I've got this product. I've I've got a, I've got a business meeting in an hour. Like what? What do I give a shit if there's elite pedophile networks? Whatever. <laughs> I'm not yeah, one of a, them. Here's so, a bunch of money. Leave me alone. Yeah. Exactly. And then you get the Spurgs who are like, oh boy, he, we gave money to him. He donated money to that cause. Yeah, he, he, it's, like, it's like when you buy Girl Scout cookies or like you buy, like the little kid comes up and knocks on your door and he's like, he's like, hey, well, you want to buy chocolates for me? And you're like, oh, that's sweet. Uh, yeah, look at you going and doing something here. Yeah, I'll buy some chocolates so you go on to the next house. That's how a lot of these people relate to the world. This is, this is the predominant mentality among Silicon Valley. You have the small minority of people who are incredibly loud and obnoxious. And they make such a stink and they're so irrational and difficult to deal with that they, for a while, they've kind of held sway among that culture. As people are trying to figure out, okay, how do we navigate this without getting like a labor lawsuit or... I'm um, winding up on the, the front page of the New York times being called racist and sexist and whatever else, like, how do we navigate this? And so people are like, okay, what do you, who, whose hand do I need to kiss? What do I, what do I need to sign? Like, I'm trying to get back to business here. I'm, you know, so what, what do I need to do to get past this? But increasingly those people are getting more and more disgruntled with how things are progressing. Like they don't want to deal with, with ESG shit. 
They don't want to like have to navigate around these super inefficient things. There's a reason why HR is a like a curse word in professional life. Nobody wants to deal with HR. Nobody likes them. So the more overbearing and obnoxious they get, it's like what Napoleon said. Don't stop your enemy when they're making a mistake. If the HR uh, 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 harpies and the ESG people and the, you know, the, 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 the rainbow mafia and the they thems, if they want to be an obnoxious pain in the ass about stuff, let them be obnoxious pains in the ass because they're pissing off the right people. I'm not saying that the PayPal mafia are our friends. I'm not saying they're our guys. In fact, I'm saying explicitly they are not our guys. And the way you know you can know that is because if they were our guys, they wouldn't have the capital that they do. Right. They wouldn't be influential. They wouldn't be wealthy. They wouldn't be in a position to do something about anything. Because our guys are useless. Are useless. There's there's still like I, I I'm realizing this watching the 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 MAGA response to Vivek. It, th this was it like hit me like a like a ton of bricks right in the face. That he was doing to them, he was inspiring the same kind of feminine emotional reaction that the regime had to Trump when Trump showed up. He made Trump look like part of the system. And that revealed something. I'm not saying he did it to reveal it. I'm saying it did reveal it to me, seeing what's happening. There's a an interview that you guys really, really have to listen to. Jason shared it with me the other day, and it was a it's a, a, a Curtis Yarvin conversation. And I haven't listened to to Yarvin like I don't know a year maybe, because I just was kind of like, yeah, I just whatever. You know, he goes he has these like really weird parties with like super dorky um, <laughs> like like Neck elite boots. class people. It, it just like. Like, that's not my scene. It's just, it's not my scene. Cool. Yeah, go, go do your thing, whatever. But then I've spent the last couple of weeks sitting here deep diving on the PayPal mafia and starting to realize what they're, what's forming, what they're putting together, what their angle is, that they are a legitimate counter elite that's rising and that will inevitably be the ones who take power. I'm not saying they should take power. I'm not saying I want them to take power. I'm saying they are going to take power. And they see the world differently than the existing powers that be. There's going to be good things that come of that. There's going to be bad things that come of that. I'm saying it's going to happen. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here with this frame of mind, and I'm... So now I'm kind of like, okay, so I, I've known that Yarvin and Teal are close. I've known that he's at least in there influencing him. And then some of the other connections that I've discovered that Teal has made it even more evident, okay, yeah, he's very much swimming in these circles. There's very much something going on there. 
and I, and so I, I was listening to Yarvin in kind of a new, a new frame of mind and it blew me away. Like once I had the, the, the frame of mind, understanding who the PayPal mafia are, what they're doing, um, what their goals are, how they're going about those goals. Once I understood that, then listening to him do his Yarvin thing, he said a lot of stuff that I've heard him say before, but I was understanding it in a different light. And I realized that some of this is, I don't know if it's intentional on his, on his behalf, but he has a very Straussian type of communication where you kind of, um, especially if you're talking about sort of controversial stuff, you have to, you, you kind of have to abstract away from reality enough to give yourself a little plausible deniability as a writer and to attract the right people. Like you're not talking to everyone. You're talking to the people who, who are, who are prepared to kind of parse through your words and read between the lines a little. And that's partly, that's in large part what he's doing. The interview that I'm talking about is it's on a podcast called moment of Zen which is interesting because moment of Zen, let me pull this up here real quick. Uh, moment of Zen is a, a podcast for a couple of, it's a, a few different like, like startup bros, basically. Um, one of them's name is Eric Torenberg, who I discovered follows me on Twitter, which is cool. Uh, he is a, he's an investor. He's a podcaster. Uh, presently he says, I'm the founder of tech first podcast network turpentine. Previously, I was chairman of on deck co-founder and general partner at village global and first employee at product hunt. So he's, he's part of the, the, uh, sort of founder culture in, in Silicon Valley. But if you go and you look at the stuff he tweets about and the stuff he listens to and stuff, it's very clear that he's very much adjacent to, to our circles. He's on the, he's on the productive end of the extremely online right-wing inclined sort of libertarian slash right-wing sort of guys. You have, you have of those, of those sorts of guys, you've got the ones who are productive and that do things. So they don't talk about politics that much. They're generally much more talking about business and tech and finance and economics. And then you've got the theory cells who just sit around and talk about theory all the time, but never actually do anything. The latter cadre tends to be very negative, pessimistic, and demoralizing. And the former cadre tend to be very hopeful and optimistic and um, uh, energizing. Yeah, I'm, uh, as of late, I'm finding the former that you just mentioned, the, the theory cell types. <clears throat> They're really insufferable. <laughs> yeah. Like almost as bad as libertarians. Yeah, actually, you know what? They've actually been annoying me more than libertarians recently, so I'll say uh -huh. they're worse than libertarians. Right. Like and a good example of these guys was the ones who the I, I found Vivek to be a really interesting Rorschach test because the guys who their their criticism of him or their dismissiveness of him was restrict it was like he's a pajit <laughs> yep like okay so like no no interest in any of the stuff that that he represents any of his connections any of the surroundings no 
no consideration for the the realpolitik realpolitik of what's happening. Just he's a bajit. It's it's like the most low IQ uh, uh, response. Nate Baker it, says they are just a new updated OS for libertarians. Same people, yes. different epoch. You know what I was thinking about that? Like, okay, there's kind of this irony. Like with libertarians, they're these staunch capitalists, and you would expect since they're all staunch capitalists and they spend all their day obsessing about economics that they'd all be millionaires, and like almost none of them are. Likewise, mm -hmm. with the the right wing dudes, like you would expect with all of this esoteric knowledge and obsession that they would be like great statesmen and uh they're sitting nope. in the goon cave you know yep yeah doing shit they're they're like so so the the interview just um the goonic types asking, that's what we're referring to yeah 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 um the, the the podcast is called moment of zen and the episode is curtis yarvin on rufo harvard fdr and the cathedral um the the thing with these guys is like they're like when i hear um uh when i see people who tweet things like uh uh i could never support uh vivek because he's a pajit or because he's not christian or because he's hindu for that reason i couldn't support him this is the same spirit as well he's not a real libertarian or he's not libertarian enough first of all you supporting him doesn't matter like that's not how this game works. This is and you this know is supposed that. to be yes, exactly. This is supposed to be like one of the key premises of the so-called NRX worldview. Yeah, you're all like elitists, aren't you? Yeah. Like why do you what I don't support him. He's never gonna earn my vote. What? Like, how is that the way that you you evaluate you vote? politics? Yeah, you vote? Like, what? It just uh, especially after 2020 like how do you possibly how do you possibly view these things this way because they're just spiritual libertarians yep they're still it's at least owen benjamin is entertaining with his his angle on it he's like i'm just gonna call you like a like i'm just gonna say you brush your teeth with cow shit and you know <laughs> just make yeah. fun of you like, okay whatever you know like He's not someone who takes himself seriously anyways, or shouldn't, shouldn't be, uh, uh, nobody should be taking him seriously anyways. He's just a comedian. But it, that, that's, so, so this is sort of what, like, like what, what Vivek was, was revealing to me. I'm starting to see this happening, and I'm realizing that the entire purpose of, this is what, what Yarvin is getting into in this episode, is that in order for us to, move beyond the existing regime, people have to stop caring about it. They have to lose the desire to save it. They have to lose the desire of to, to, to get involved in the political process. They need apathy. This is why Yarvin was at, like in 2020, at the end of 2020 and leading up to the election, he was saying the best thing possible would be a Biden election. Because it's going to completely take the wind out of the sails of. Are we gonna? Are we gonna talk more shit about the right wingers? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, definitely. cool. Because it's gonna like a Biden election would just take the take the wings take the wind out of the sails of the you know the the rabid wine aunts who view themselves as part of the resistance. 
Like you need to get these people checked out of what's happening. You want low energy. You want demoralization among them. But here's the thing. Here's the catch. You also need demoralization among the right-wingers. The right-wingers have to be checked out of the existing system because that's when, that's when you can actually make moves to replace it. You can't replace it while people are still bought into it. There has to be political apathy in order for there to be change. This is part of the reality of a quote unquote democratic governance, gov governance system. Yeah. Where's all the energy on the left these days? It's basically gone. Right. All of the political energy is it's on the right. Mm hmm. So you got to get right. rid of that. You guys got to get clear pilled, right? Mm hmm. Because he, so Yarvin uses the analogy of crossing the Rubicon. And uh, he had his, his blog post that he wrote at the, uh, the time of, of, I think he wrote it like November 8, 2020, where he described the path forward that Trump could take. Trump could choose to, uh, basically, he said there's like five different Rubicons, and, and he needs to cross all those different Rubicons, but he's sitting there fishing in the Rubicon. And, and it turns out you need a license to fish in the Rubicon. <laughs> so... Oh, you got a license there, mate. He, uh, if you listen to it, you can hear you can hear Yarvin's um, uh, British accent, among other things. <laughs> Oof, um, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, I bet it's pretty rough. <laughs> um, but one of the points he made is that you have to Trump in order to 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 actually uh, assume autocratic control of the government and begin firing people and dissolving unnecessary branches of the government in order to accomplish that he would have to steam across like five different rubicons and the and his problem would be you couldn't dilly dally between the rubicons you just have to cross one and you can't wait you got to cross the next one and you got to cross the next one and you got to cross the next one and the way people look at this like crossing the rubicon thing is they think oh well in order to cross the rubicon you need to have all of this massive um, allotment of power behind you in order to get across it. It's kind of like you got to build a bigger boat. We just, we got to be able to build a bigger boat. We got to get more people. We got to get more. We got to get more energy. We got to get more passion. We got to get more oomph to get across. But that's actually a much more difficult way to go about it. That's going about it the hard way. The easy way is to, I don't know, dry up the Rubicon. Then it's, you don't even need to cross it. There's nothing to cross. Step right over it. Just Yep. Just pop right over it. You're good to go. Or you, you dry up the Rubicon, and then you let the Rubicon go again. And, oh, look at that. The Rubicon's going on the other side of us. Huh. It rerouted itself. Interesting. I guess, guess we're the ones in power now. In order to accomplish this, though, in order to get to this point, people have to detach themselves from the existing regime. They have to recognize the regime has left them behind. It is no longer their regime. Because if it's no longer their regime, they won't care who has control of it. And that's when you can step in and take control of it. If, you're, if you want to understand what the, the PayPal mafia is up to 
Think like a startup guy. Think like a founder. Because they want a government that runs like a startup because that's, the, that's what reflects their culture. That's what's easiest for them to work with. And one of the great things about a startup is that it can be ruthlessly efficient and pragmatic. The most successful startups are the ones that have a powerful CEO. He uses the analogy of, of um, uh, Elon and, uh, and Tesla. Or not, sorry, not Tesla, um, SpaceX. He said if, if Elon tomorrow decided that he wanted rockets that used Elmer's glue as fuel, then he's not going to go like, like put it to a vote among all of the engineers or like get the input of all of the engineers and, and then, you know, based on their collective input, make a decision. No, he's going to say, Hey, I want a rocket that uses Elmer's glue as fuel, figure out how to do it. And the, the, if there's engineers who are like, Oh, well then that's, there's okay. You're out. Hire a new guy. That's going to do what we want. Like that's, that's the way that the company is going to be run. And in a couple of years, we're going to be watching rockets with made out of Elmer's glue <laughs> rocket rocket with, 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 with fuel. That's Elmer's glue. Cause this is the way that a monarchy runs startups. The startup culture is very monarchical. It's dealt with a lot of, of, um, infestation of the, the, the lib, um, you know, the ESG and the DEI and all this sort of stuff. But what that means is that the guys who have survived and been the most successful in that culture are the ones who know how to make the thing run efficiently in spite of all of that. They're, they're the most competent executives that we have in the country right now. And they're beginning to coalesce. I'm not saying that this is like meetings in, in smoky, dark boardrooms where they're planning everything out in, in detail. Maybe there's a little cool. bit of that. It would be cool. Yeah. And I'm sure there's, there's some degree of that, especially the closer that you get to Teal himself. There's definitely some of that. But a lot of this is just, just uh, 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 network incentives. And people who are, have common cause, they've worked together and, and, and made each other a lot of money. And they want to keep making each other a lot of money. And this freaking federal government keeps getting in the way. And we can't just take a, do a head-on assault with it. So we need to carefully work our way around and, and, and the way that they're doing it. Like, what was, what was Eisenhower's warning? He said, if we don't, if we, the, the military-industrial complex is like having private companies take over all of the government, the things that should be government responsibilities. And if we do that, if we let that happen, then pretty soon private companies will run the government. Well, what do you know? Yep. Now private companies run the government. And the guys who run the best private companies are the ones who are gunning for the government now. They're the ones who have amassed the wealth, the network, the resources. They've been embedding themselves and growing themselves as a network for decades, almost three decades together on some various level. I think this is, this is great cause for optimism. Because we don't need, if you're, if you're waiting around 
for here's here's your opportunity to to shit on the right wing guys again. So, oh great. <laughs> if you are sitting around bemoaning the fact that you have no political friends, you know there's nobody who's 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 preaching your political message to you. But at the same time, your first instinct when you're evaluating someone is find the one thing you don't have in common and then characterize that as the fundamental thing about them and say, we can't be friends because you have this thing that we don't have in common. Then of course you don't have any friends. You rule out the, 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 the possibility of having political friends because you won't just accept people as your friend, even if you guys have things that are different. You're not an elitist. You're a peasant who thinks he's an elitist and thinks he has the luxury of picking and choosing his political friends based on how much they agree with him. You can do that. It's just self-destructive. It's it's not like <clears throat> they're going to yeah, be the theory cell your... who's sitting there accomplishing nothing. Purity spiral as your values die. And be the only Scotsman left. Uh huh. Can we I talk think. about? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, can we talk about the de facto demoralization campaign that the right wingers are running against uh, themselves? Mm. I've been yes. seeing this a lot recently. Like, I'm I'm getting to the point where I just want to like delete my Twitter because all the guys, a, a lot of the guys, not all of them, but a lot of the guys that I used to follow, who are just like regularly banger tweets. It's like. Yeah, all they post about, man, is like, they just suck, you know? That Everything they post about is like, oh, the the Jays run this and every, you can't do anything. And oh, with the longhouse and, you know, everybody sucks. And all of the uh, minorities are doing the minority stuff. Yeah, the urban youths are doing the urban youth stuff. And look at this decadent society and all the women they they suck they're all like i don't know they're all hoes and even the ones who aren't hoes maybe at some point in the past they were hoes and or even worse they had like an interracial relationship it's mm -hmm. like the cardinal sin and they're completely irredeemable and as a result should be doghouse for the next 20 years when they hit menopause and are posting videos of themselves crying on instagram we can laugh at them and how stupid they are ha <laughs> ha yeah no wonder you don't have anybody representing you in with any kind of like influence or power or political like yeah you guys suck you're a bunch of insufferable dweebs <laughs> yeah you suck no one wants to represent no one wants you to be your friend associated with you yeah it's a terrible way to to uh take political power or like assert yourself on the world just having this passive feminine bitchy catty nihilistic view of the world but every yeah everybody sucks everything mm -hmm. sucks nate baker says there's nothing elite out doom scrolling and void posting it's yeah it's just impotent signaling that's that's ultimately what all of these guys are doing this is where the gunic thing came from yeah this is just impotent signaling if you were actually as powerful and influential and smart and capable and wealthy as you seem to think you are, then you wouldn't need to complain about this stuff. Like, I don't need to, I don't need to want to live 
around certain cultures to be perfectly willing to do business with them. Like, like th this guy, this guy likes to shit in the street, so I'm not going to take his money. <laughs> Why not? Just wash it when you get it. Like, you know, I'll take his money. Or have your minority servant grab it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Put them to work. Use them as assets. But if you're just sitting here just like just bitching about them and how yucky you think they are, and you're like, oh, my, my civilization was taken away from me. No, nah, bro, you let it die. It was taken away from me by women and minorities. Yeah, you're yes. real powerful. Ooh, you're the strong guy. You're a tough guy. Women Caesar. and minorities took your shit away from you. Caesar's legion. <laughs> right, yeah. Aren't you ready to lead armies? Got a bunch like, of girls telling you what to do. A bunch of former hoes telling you what to do. <laughs> it's pathetic. Ugh. It just... What is... Uh, 2-Bit here says... We don't need the PayPal mafia to be our tribe. Right. We need to be friends with them and use them as a civilizational investment. We need to build a civilization. This is one of the things I talked with Jay Burden about last night is we've got to let go of the idea of Western civilization. Western civilization died. She's gone. She broke up with you, bro. Like she, she moved on. It's time for you to move on. That doesn't mean there's nothing good from Western civilization or we can't take anything of value from Western civilization. We had fun. A lot of it good memories. We've got to stop sitting here picking over the corpse of Western civilization and mourning its death. We don't need Western civilization to build. We just need to engage with reality as it is. Interact with reality directly and build something of value within it. You don't need Western civilization. You just need the truth. The only thing of value, whatever, whatever of value may be contained within Western civilization would be that which corresponds with truth. So why don't you like skip the intermediary and just work with the truth? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing stopping you from painting or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Tubit says, think about, think about it like having access to their well-developed and protected trade network. Yeah. Yeah, like, again, like, you can have your tribe. You can have your people. If you're, if you're caterwauling about how your civilization got taken away from you, then you're wasting time. Stop complaining about it being gone and just build it again. If you don't want, if there's certain people you don't want to be a part of your civilization then build it where they aren't and keep them out. Oh, but it's illegal to do that. Do it anyways. Figure out how to do it. Figure out how to make it happen. This is how you run a business. Oh, it's illegal to run the business I want to run. Okay, either figure out how to make it legal or run a different business. It's a lot more productive than just sitting there in your office with your thumb up your ass complaining that the business you wanted to start, you can't start. Like, I don't know what to I'm tell like, you, man. <clears throat> what businesses are illegal that should be legal? Like, there might be one or two, but I don't know. 
Don't you probably don't you get autistic with my stuff. analogies? Well, yeah, you just I don't know. If you're trying to start some business that's illegal to start, it's probably some degen shit. Yeah, probably. There's there's plenty of things that have been basically regulated where where maybe it's not illegal, but it's been regulated to the point where it's basically yeah, yeah. impossible. But like Okay. So, so, so there's regulations you have to work around. Figure out how to work around them. Glonk respecter says slave trading. Okay, fair point. <laughs> I concede. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well done. Kate J says how to get along 101 post 20 elementary school style, getting back to basics. Yeah, I mean, just have like the most moderate social skills. <laughs> like that's part of the thing is a lot of these guys a lot of these big account guys on Twitter who are just like relentlessly posting takes and lots of them are fire. Lots of them are great. They they, they post bangers. But then they keep Even the ones that were even the ones that were complaining about. Yeah, a lot of them yeah. still post bangers. Right, right. Like 90% of the time they see the world very clearly. And they're very gifted communicators. But you get that little seed of nihilism. You get the 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 people there's like there's stuff that I choose not to retweet or comment on because I don't want to put that aesthetic in people's timelines. People who are following me, like they don't need to see yet another person on Twitter retweeting the mobs of youths beating people up or I don't know, animals being abused or uh, some chick crying about uh, being sad and lonely or, you know, like, we don't need more depression yeah, you know the, and anxiety the, and stress. The sad and lonely chick, you know? Yeah. Y you know, instead of laughing at her, you guys could hit her up. Right. Yeah. Like her whole She's lonely, problem. and if you're if you're as impressive as you say you are, or as you seem to lead people to believe, or want to lead people to believe you are, you should have no problem. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Matt, but Matt, she may have dated like a black dude at one point. Irredeemable. Django Fett says, huh, what is feminine about that? I don't remember. Sorry, man. Uh, we got far, far enough along in the conversation. I don't remember what we were talking about. Um, Nate Baker says, if Twitter complainers would get married and have kids, 80% of our problems would be solved. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I was going to say, is that these guys, they're, they're either one of two things. Either they're, they've got some you know avatar of some like, uh, you know, like uh, uh, super ripped guy or whatever, and they're actually gigantic nerds. If you actually saw like a picture of them, you'd be like, uh, yeah, like that's the guy that I've been, I've been like drooling over. Or they are, they're actually like quite successful and wealthy. And, you know, the, the tech bros or the, 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 um, the guys who are in finance or whatever, they work out all the time. You know, they, they're, they're, they're objectively like wealthy, successful dudes, but they're spreading degeneration on the timeline to demoralize you. Yep. It may be because misery loves company and they're miserable because they've chosen to obsess about this stuff and they don't want to be 
lonely and pathetic obsessing about it. They want to be like in a crowd of people pathetic obsessing about it. But this is like, it's, they're the spiritual equivalent of the, the libs who are crying about pronouns and whatever their pet political thing is that they think is an unjust. This is the same yeah. energy. We need positive, poor white man, helpful, uplifting, the vic- the productive, victim. creative energy. I bet. Here's a life hack. Go on Twitter, Zeter, sorry, and unfollow all of the uh, the right wing Twitter anons, and then instead just follow like Alex Hormozzi and a bunch of the sales dudes, yeah. the entrepreneur dudes. Yeah, the mindset shift of like that's the shit that you're doom scrolling. I bet in a year you're going to be miles ahead of where you are now. Yes. Yes. If you set your mind to like starting a business and thinking about solving problems of like branding and marketing and sales and uh, you know sourcing products and like all this sort of stuff, your your mind isn't going to have time to obsess and 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 you know doom scroll and doom post about stuff. Like by necessity, you're going to have to be hopeful and optimistic because if you're not hopeful and optimistic, what are you doing? What are you wasting your time on? If we're at the end of the world and everyone's going to die and it's all the, the Jews are taking over and we're just, you know, we're all fucked, then <laughs> why build anything? Jay Burden yesterday said something, right? He dropped this grenade on me right at the end of the episode and I didn't get a chance to respond to it, but I sold him some, I told him afterwards. We, it's, it's like commonly accepted that the idea that we live at the end of the world is, 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 is like or that, sorry, not the idea we live at the end of the world, but the, that we live at the end of history is like a liberal like delusion. This is becoming more and more commonly accepted that you know the, the end of history, we're the most civilized, most advanced people. We're, you know, we're, uh, um, we're, we're the summation of human experience and whatever. Like, this is very clearly not the case. There's very clearly ancient people who, not even ancient, even just... Yuck, several decades or a couple centuries ago, people were, f- were far higher quality than we are, far more intelligent, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If we recognize that we're not at the end of history, that the the the, the Whig view of history, where it's just an eternal pro- progress forward, is not the case, then the natural follow-on conclusion from that is it's time for us to start building more history. We have like the future isn't going to build itself. Someone's going to be building the future. Who's that going to be? If it's you, that means you get some say so over what the future is going to look like. And if you want more say so, you can get it. You just got to make the capital for it. You got to generate the capital, which means you need to be able to cooperate with people, to work with people, to make deals to secure investment, to market and sell. You've got to be able to build a network. In order to do all of these things, you have to recognize that there's going to be a future. And that future is going to be something worth living in. If if your view of the future is that it's going to be degenerate hell, then you're going to create degenerate hell. This is part of the creative power of human beings that we create what we think about. This is part of us being imagers of God. 
Kate J says, go get that girl who's miserable from her crap wagey job. You can save her. Exactly. Like the Zoomer chick uh, from Walmart the other day. Mm-hmm. Guys, go save her. But they can't because they're, right. you know. They're actually afraid they're... of women. Yeah, they castrated themselves and they watch too much porn and that's why they're freaking out about like, <laughs> you know, I, I keep bringing this up just because I it's flooding my timeline like the past two weeks is like, <laughs> like bitching about like chicks dating black dudes or something like these guys are obsessed with this and this kind of reminds me of your idea about like like these same gunic types who bitch about israel all the time with the jews being kind of like an outworking of of some like penis envy like they uh-huh. have what i want and i, I don't yes. have it i think it's the same thing yes so right. they bitch about the Jews and then they bitch about like black dudes and then all the women suck because it, 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 <laughs> guys quit watching porn. Yes. Yes. Stop. You could tell. You could tell you the guys tell. that watch yeah. porn. Oh yeah. yeah. They would never admit it, but like it's it's like plastered all over them. They're 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 just they're just spewing it everywhere. They've got porn brain. Oh yeah. Because they complain about all the stuff that just doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, if you, if you view women as, like, malleable simpletons, then you, if you think that you're oppressed by them, what does that say about you? You're oppressed by a bunch of malleable simpletons. So you're weaker than a bunch of malleable simpletons. It just... Impotence signaling. It just comes back to impotence signaling. Django Fett says there never was such a thing as Western civilization. The West was constantly trying to go to war with each other. Yeah, this is part of my issue with the idea of Western civilization. Is it's a, it's such a like I understand what people are trying to refer to, but there's a there's like a Mott and Bailey thing that goes on with it because Western civilization is not a specific thing. Western civilization is a very broad thing. It it, it encapsulates a, a a whole bunch of different things. But then it becomes kind of it, it becomes used as a uh, as a like a euphemism for specific things, but those specific things are not one to one equivalent with Western civilization. And what Western civilization has brought us is drag queen story hour and <laughs> you know like record high abortion rates. Like these these are part of the legacy of Western civilization. Based, am I right? Right. Like liberalism is part of the legacy of Western civilization. I'm not saying that Western civilization needs to be thrown out because of those things. I'm saying Western civilization is dying. It may be dead already. We've we've gone through the life cycle. And trying to like, like spending time trying to keep it on life support is just inefficient. When you could dedicate all of that time and energy to actually building a better civilization, a more noble civilization, accomplishing greater things, not being bound to Western civilization and excessively identifying with something that is inextricably linked to some of the worst degeneration and corruption the world has ever seen. Yeah, we live in a rather pagan society these days Mm -hmm. which that being the case you got to kind of take that into consideration when you're dealing with people 
you know, that you're dealing with a bunch of pagans, basically. Mm -hmm. So pagans are going to do pagan shit. And if, hey, any of these pagans wake up and want to stop doing pagan shit, you got to leave the door open for them. But if you're going to, like, spiral out and, like, uh, you don't have enough based cred or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. A good question here from Glonk Respector. He said, why would the PayPal mafia take the risk? Seems like they're killing it without involvement in government. Is it just because the state of the regime is causing too much risk for their personal empire? I think part of it Could be. is it's not really a risk. Like, these people don't have the apocalyptic view of reality that most of us have developed. To them, it's just 2024, which is a year before 2025, and five years before 2030, and 10 years before 2040. Like, these people don't see themselves as being at the end of history or like the world is ending. They're just living their lives and just doing the things that their their parents did at the same time, which is buy and sell companies and build and accumulate power and deploy it accordingly. And like, it's not, it, this stuff isn't life or death to them the way it is to us. It doesn't have to be. So, and, and part of the, 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 the premise of how they're going about this is they recognize what time it is. They recognize the trajectory. So like, they don't need to hostile take over the government. They just need to let the government collapse and just make sure that they're the ones there to catch it as it collapses. The power is going to increasingly move into their hands. This is why I like, I've, I've been saying, and I'm going to continue saying that there isn't going to be some great catastrophic collapse. There's just going to be a transition into a new age. It's going to happen slowly and then it's going to happen quickly. But it's ultimately going to be, it's going to be really difficult for certain people, maybe even a lot of people, but it doesn't have to be. We're going to transition to an, into a new age that operates under different premises and you can position yourself to be successful in that world or not. But if you're viewing it excessively ideologically, then you're not going to see the world clearly for what it is. Ideology is ultimately a, um, uh, like a, like a, like a, a, a hurdle that you place in front of yourself, especially where these sorts of things are concerned. Like if you look at, at government as not like the embodiment of Leviathan, that like government is like Satan incarnate roaming the earth, but it's just a dysfunctional business then I think you're pretty, you would be pretty well aligned with the way they see the world. And the reason why I think the way they see the world is important is because the world is going to be made in their image because they're the ones who are positioned to inherit power. Over the next 10 to 20 years, they're the ones who are establishing themselves to control the most important capital resources <laughs> that exist and that will exist. So I don't need them to be on my team. I don't need them to value every single thing that I value in order for me to benefit from them. I just need to understand what they're thinking, where they're navigating, where they're, what, 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 what they're trying to accomplish, 
and then just attach my affairs to theirs. Make their goals my goals. Let them do the work for me. I do the work of putting myself in the position to benefit from the work they do. Because the work they do has vastly more leverage than anything that I do. So if I see that they're creating a world that looks a certain way, I'm going to figure out how I can be successful within that world. If I don't like every last little detail about what that world looks like, then the only way I'm ever going to be able to do something about it is by being successful in that world first. That world will be different than our current world. It'll operate under different premises, but it's not going to be like, like radically different. If you're waiting for if you're waiting for 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 daddy fascist to to sweep into the room and 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 take power the guy that is going to say all the things you want him to say and identify perfectly with exactly what you want first of all if that guy did show up the first thing you would do is go and and like like parse out every last little thing and find the thing that he said that's untrustworthy or sketchy or whatever and then you would reject him and say that he's not He's not a real fascist. Or that, He's like, not his... our real daddy. Yeah. Or you'd, you'd find out that his wife dated a Jew like 30 years ago or something. Right, right. <laughs> like, like, the way that this works every single time is that the guy who rises to power and winds up being the Caesar is a guy who came from within the existing halls of power. That's how he was there to be able to take that step in the first place. <laughs> yeah, go on. That's how he has the credibility. <laughs> no true fascist. That's right. Right. <laughs> so it like the Peter Thiel world is both deeply ideologically motivated and like transcends ideology. Because he wants to, if you listen to him talk, he'll, t he'll tell you what he's looking for. And if you listen to Moldbug talk, he'll tell you what Peter Thiel is thinking. I don't know if that's because, because uh, Peter Thiel is listening to Moldbug or because, or Yarvin rather. I don't know if it's because Thiel's listening to Yarvin or because Yarvin's listening to Thiel, or if it's both. But they're telling you what's happening. They're telling you what's coming. Go listen to that conversation between Yarvin and uh, on the Moment of Zen podcast. You should like you should get it. He covers the like the American founding as a startup, and then uh, the uh, uh, Civil War and Reconstruction as a startup, and then uh, Wilson's administration as a startup, and FDR's administration as a startup. We haven't had a startup administration for a long time. But in order to actually get that, we have to get to the point where a prospective executive is given a broad mandate from the people to do whatever, do whatever is necessary. And in order for that to happen, the people have to lose the desire to see the government as an expression of them. And instead, they have to let the government govern and then allow it to inform them. 
they become an image of the government rather than the government being an image of them. You have to flip these things. This is where these right-wing guys, as as um, radically right-wing as they may think they are, at their heart, they're still shit-libs. <laughs> the way they look at politicians is, is, is this guy who is going to rule me, is he a proper expression of me and my values? Ugh. This is democracy. You guys yep. are Democrats. The ruler is going to rule because he is a ruler. And you as a non-ruler have the responsibility to submit yourself to his rule. That's how you get the hierarchy that creates a civilization. Yeah, these same dudes, like they'll look at uh, the Silicon Valley, you know, executive ruler types that you're describing, and they'll spurg out because they'll say, oh, they're a shit lib and they're entrenched in ideology. And all you're doing is like, <clears throat> yeah, you're saying like, but OK, but would you be would you be happy if that same guy was like subscribed to all of your your points? No, you wouldn't because you're, you're an ideologue. You're, oh, I guess that's what I'm saying is all you're all you're doing is pointing out that they're an ideologue and I'm an ideologue. And if you're an ideologue, that's a lib. That's lib shit. Stop. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to say here. Yes. Stop it with the lib shit. <laughs> Cut it out. Just don't do it anymore. We don't do <laughs> yeah, lib shit. Right. Yeah. You hear you heard it here first, guys. No more lib shit. Buck Johnson said, "Young men need to hear this message. This, that's the hope. Like that's get out of here, Buck. <laughs> you old man. Fuck off. You old fucker. <laughs> uh, oh, this is interesting. Uh, Two bit says said uh, WTF would Teal want to be you, and I would say." Why the fuck would Teal want anything from you? What do you offer him? A guy who holds audiences with heads of state, who's worth billions, who has, is one of the most accomplished investors and executives in the world. What do you offer him? What would, what would, what would earn you a moment of his time? I'm not saying like that you need to, have that but i'm saying that if you begin asking yourself that's that question that's when you could begin actually generate generating something of value he's a true power broker and if you want to see a world that is remade that is more true to actual reality you have to follow the power brokers the power brokers by definition are the ones who remake society, especially in times of crisis. And I think he's probably, as far as I can see, he is probably the single most influential person in the room. Maybe I'll, I'll like I said, I'll, I, I might go deeper into this and lay this out um, for anyone. Let me, let me know if that's something that you guys would want me to do as a stream here to go through and try to like make the case for the PayPal mafia. Like I said, it'd be, it'd be it'd no, be do it in the, do, do it in the, uh, just do it in this, in the supporting list. If people yeah, aren't yeah. like do really it in the interested VC. in it, then I'll just do it in the supporting listeners group. And, um, maybe a reason for you guys to join. Cause we actually got some plans, but like, this is the, part of the reason why this is all like on our radar is because this feeds into the sorts of things that we're working on the, in, in behind the scenes. 
Two-Bit Podcast is also working on stuff behind the scenes, and we're going to cooperate to work on stuff behind the scenes. Eventually, it's not going to be behind the scenes anymore. But we think that we're, we're on the cusp of a time of great growth and opportunity. But it's going to be, it's not going to be widespread growth and opportunity. It's not going to be the 50s all over again. It's going to be focused growth and opportunity for those who are positioned to take advantage of it. And it, it's, we're not too far away from the actual halls of power as they're going to be constructed in the not too distant future. Uh -oh. If we could position ourselves to be able to take advantage of that, then we can fast track a lot of this like rebuilding civilization idea. We can actually construct stable, safe, productive communities for ourselves and our families, and we can begin planting trees that will create the shade that our children and grandchildren will sleep under. Tubit says he's going to start laying the civilizational... I don't understand what this says. I'm going to start laying <laughs> civilization grandest pipe this Friday. Well, this Friday, Jason's going to be doing something having to do with laying pipe and civilization. So um, go over to the 2-Bit Podcast and subscribe, and you might see laying pipe, and you might hear something about civilization. That's Subscribe to Jason's OnlyFans, and you can learn something <laughs> yeah. about. Um, but part of my theory right now that I'm, I'm – the more that I see, the more it's reinforcing it is the election fortification that happened in 2020 was a project of the PayPal mafia. Either, not necessarily the PayPal mafia were the ones who did that, but they were the ones who ensured that it happened. Because I think that like part of the idea here is getting the election or, or getting Biden in office to dial down the temperature in the room to buy more time for aligning and, and ensuring that, uh, that, that things lay themselves out properly. Civilizationist grind set. That's what he meant to say. Oh yes. Okay. You got to find a different term. Civilizationist is too long. It's too wordy. Yeah. You're like Matt, you guys, you word cells. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the high IQ. <laughs> yeah. Bren says, how do you think Teal, being a practicing sodomite, affects his worldview? Do we got a live one? I honestly, I don't really care. Yeah, me neither. Because whatever, I like, I want, I see the world he wants to construct, and I would rather live in that world than in this one. Yeah. So, who he wants to sleep with doesn't really affect me in that way. There is not that many kings or emperors that are saints. Right. You know? Right. And this, this holds true for, for someone like Vivek as well. People, oh, I can remember no pagan. We are a Christian. Yeah, well, Trump is a Christian. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah he, he's a Zionist boomer. It'd almost be good if someone like uh, like Vivek was president, because it would just kind of kind of like formalize, like, yeah, any kind of pretense that we're a Christian nation, let's mm -hmm. can we just throw that out? That's not a thing anymore. And we're pagan. Christianity has spent large swaths of its history thriving in pagan countries under pagan leadership. Mm -hmm. There's a deep, rich history of this. I saw I, I saw a number of people. This has actually kind of worked well. With, like a number of people were talking about on um, uh, uh, Vivek, and they said 
that it said I'm I'm looking at electing a president, not a pastor. Like I, I need I'm I'm looking at like an executive to run an organization for me. I don't really care that much about like his personal views on this thing or that thing. I care about, is he going to competently run the company for me? And if so, great. Like if I, if I was going to hire someone to be a, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a, a the CEO of my company, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping into a different role and I need someone to come in and fill the role for me. Like what I care about is like his, his, his approach to marketing, the, the um his daily schedule um his communication skills his uh you know like like how he's going to function as a businessman if he's like you know like uh, i don't know like he's he's divorced or he um has uh he's living with his second wife or just living like he has a girlfriend and they they uh they're living together and they're not married like i'm not going to care I'm looking for a CEO. Yeah, you're not a, you're not his priest. Right. Yeah. And he's not yours. Uh-huh. So it's like this the same thing with it. like this is part of the part of the lib um part of the libness, the shit libness that's still embedded in the psychology of a lot of the the the, the mega people is or just the right-wing guys in general is this idea that we need to install a government that reflects our values back to us. And that like that that's a liberal notion. Yeah. Yep. What we need is a government. Once we have a government, then we can talk about figuring out how to make sure that government reflects our values. But what we need is a government. A government that is stable, cool-headed, rational, predictable, competent and fulfills its mandate. However, that's accomplished doesn't really matter that much. Like just give us, give us the government. And then if it, if we need to start tweaking it around the edges or updating it or, or, um, you know, someone gets in and it starts fucking it up and then we need to replace them with something like, these are problems we can resolve down the road, but let's have a government. Let's have a government that functions. And you know what a cause, another cause for optimism is? If you're talking stable, predictable, cool-headed, rational, non-emotional, um, consistent, you know what sort of things have these characteristics? Automated systems. Automation is fundamentally masculine. It, it's, it, I mean, it's a frickin' grid. It's code that makes it all of these things. So the more that people begin being remade in the image of some of these machines, the more it's going to reinforce, it's going to reinforce bad things too, but the more it's also going to reinforce things like this. We're going to get governance that's not long housed. We're not, we, we, we're coming out of the era of the devouring mother. That's why all of our systems are like naive, emotional, screeching annoyances. We're, we're, we're pendulum swinging back in the masculine direction, which is 
like part of that is going to be cool-headed, rational, stable, predictable realities. That'll give us new problems that we need to figure out how to navigate around. But I'd rather live in a new world than the one that we have now. So I'm, I'm ready to be, I'm ready to be done with the longhouse. It was like, it was, I feel like I was on a, there's something I was going to, Oh, what I was going to say was still going. Yes. Just wrapping, wrapping up in conclusion, some very specific things. I believe that the PayPal mafia was responsible for the election fortification. Part of the connection here is Peter Thiel has been a longtime close mentor of Mark Zuckerberg. And Mark Zuckerberg is the one who spent $400 million fortifying the election. And I don't think that that was a coincidence. I don't think, I don't think that relationship is a coincidence. You have Yarvin saying the best possible thing would be Biden getting elected. And Yarvin is close to Thiel. And then you have Zuckerberg, who is sort of like a son to Thiel, is the one who's actually the, the one doing it. There's other connections as well, but that was that's the big one. Also, It'd be interesting to see. Go ahead. And if any of you uh, you autists have uh, free time and want to do some super sleuthing on the internet, see if you can find any connections with these PayPal dudes and Dominion voting systems. That'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's nothing. Probably would be. If there was a connection, it's probably a pretty deep one, but right. And maybe there's not, but I'd be interested to know if there was, Mm -hmm. and I'm too lazy to look into that. (laughs) Another tight connection is between, or not tight, but definitely a direct connection between uh, Peter Thiel and Nayib Bukele, the essentially the king of El Salvador. Thinking again about how Peter Thiel is the memetics guy, the Girardian memetics guy. Think about the significance of someone like Bukele creating a model for other countries to follow. There's that, there's a little, an interesting little connection there for you to go chase down if you want to real quick. I forgot I was going to share this earlier, but just so, because we're using this term PayPal mafia, and I was going to show you guys this graphic just to kind of give you an idea of who the PayPal mafia is, what we're talking about when we're, we're talking about them. Let me, that's annoying. It's one of these where like the more you zoom, the smaller it gets. Uh, well, oh, well, if you can't read, I'll just read it off to you guys. So this red dot here is Peter Thiel. This is um, Keith Raboys. This is uh, Max Levchin. This is Elon Musk. This is David Sachs. This is Roloff Botha. These are, and the, the, the connections between them here are um, the thickness of the line between two mafia members represents the number of companies in which both members have made investments. So this is how they're, they're cross-invested. You've got Reed Hoffman, the CEO of Netflix over here. Um, uh, Ken Howery, uh, uh, Kareem, I think his name's last name's Jawam. 
or, or Jawam Kareem, something like that, the uh, founder of YouTube, uh, Luke Nozek, uh, Stoppelman, I can't remember his first name, Bannister, I can't remember his first name. These are some of the key guys. These are, um, these are kind of like the core PayPal Mafia people. Other, other significant characters involved in this would be um, uh, Mark Andreessen, um, uh, I've got a headache, my brain is starting to give out. So we'll, we'll, we'll do another episode on the, the, the um, PayPal Mafia specifically, go into some more details. And uh, Zach Button says, I'd be curious to know if Bukele is using any of Palantir software for rounding up the games. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised at all. There's definitely a like one degree removed connection. There's multiple one degree removed connections between Peter Thiel and Bukele. And Bukele came to power very shortly after. There's this project that was going on in Honduras called Prospera, where there was a particular carve out within the Honduran constitution for these oh, like special economic zones called Zedes, Z-E-D-E. And uh, when I was working with Jason Stapleton, we had someone approach us and told us that Peter Thiel had a project going on in Honduras called Prospera, where they're basically, I looked into it, and they're basically creating a private government on an island in, in, um, off the coast of Honduras. Well, there was some sort of a kind of a political upheaval in Honduras, and they got a new uh, president elected who was a woman who was like totally all uh, uh, dedicated to the social justice causes and everything. And that carve out basically got, got nixed. Basically, the, the, the Prospera project was no longer going to work. They wouldn't be able to create this private sovereign nation within Honduras anymore. Right about the same time, either just before or just after or very close to that, is when Bukele suddenly came to power in El Salvador. And we've seen how drastically that has transformed that country. It's gone from one of the most violent to one of the least violent. Bukele came to power and took the military and marched to Congress, essentially, and just started just firing them, just throwing them out. And they did this all constitutionally. They used the, the constitutional language. They used the constitutional means. So there's a, a veneer of authenticity to it, even though this is like, all right, you guys are all corrupt. This whole thing is, is a mess. This guy's going to take over. He's going to set things right. And we all support him because we're fed up with living in a world that is the way that El Salvador was. Now it's, it's uh, the tech companies are flocking to it. Cost of, uh, or, or sorry, the... Um, uh, crime is way down. The, the quality of life is way up. And they're making moves. I think we should be on the lookout for more examples like that because I think part of the way this, this group moves, particularly with Teal and his understanding of Gerard and memetics, is create the model out there and then use that model as inspiration. I think Javier Millet, Millet Javier Malay is the same example. I don't know if he's directly connected to, to TL. I haven't looked at it yet, but he serves sort of a similar role. But he's a Zionist. So I, right, right. So I think that the, my, if, I, if I was to predict now, I don't know exactly what, what, what Vivek's uh, angle has been. Um, I don't, maybe we'll talk, we'll talk later about, uh, um, exactly why he dropped out and stuff. Um, there's more thoughts. We're almost two hours in, so I'll, I'll, I'll save it for next time. Um, but 
I do think, based on what I'm beginning to see and beginning to understand here, that the goal is for the next president to be Republican Nikki Haley. I think that's the... I think that's the play. I think that's the the angle that they're pushing toward because of what that will mean in terms of generating political apathy and continuing to 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 drive the existing regime structure deeper and deeper into disarray and incompetence. Because the more disarray and incompetence, the more opportunities to step in and assume control and assume power. Um, so anyways, we, we can get more into that another time. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out here for two hours. Appreciate you very much. Sorry for being a little scatterbrained today. I've been, I got a pinched nerve in my neck when I woke up this morning and I got a pounding headache, so I'm going to go to bed. Um, do us a favor, like the stream, share it, uh, subscribe if you aren't. Subscriber numbers are, are ticking up and it's good to see that. Uh, Jay Burden episode, I was on there yesterday. Uh, go to YouTube, Jay Burden. Um, and I think we'll be posting it on our, um, we're going to get the clip, get the, uh, the file and we'll post it out, uh, on, on our side of things as well. And then tomorrow, 5 PM Eastern time, Oren McIntyre, we're going to talk about what happened to NRX. So if you have questions you want us to ask him, particularly in light of what we talked about today, anything you want us to, to, to put to him that's, that's related to the subject to, you know, the NRX broadly speaking, then, uh, Join the, 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 the Kingpilled Discord by going to subscribestar.com slash Kingpilled. We have a thread in there where you can go post your questions and we will ask them. <sighs> Anything else? Tune in, tune in next week for my presentation on anti-memetics. Oh, yes. That, that, that's one to look forward to. That'll be a good one. Thank you, Glonk Respector. Good night. Good night to everyone. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you next time.